This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock bands on Free Gate. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreaks, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jaginiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode, part two of my conversation with artist James Flames. Make sure that you also check out part one of my chat with James. We talk about a whole bunch of topics over the course of both episodes, like his family, his favorite artists, falling into making concert posters, his whole process of making prints, working with Umphreys McGee and the first time they commissioned him to make a print, the other artists he's worked for, who he would love to make a print for, and a whole, whole, whole bunch more. Definitely give those both a listen. It was really a lot of fun talking with James, and you'll find links for the audio and the video for both part one and two in the show notes. Looking for a new way to stream your music or listen to your favorite podcasts? Check out this exclusive offer for DATC listeners. Head to getamazonmusic.com slash dropped among this crowd to receive a 30-day free trial of Amazon Music. That's getamazonmusic.com slash D-R-O-P-P-E-D-A-M-O-N-G-T-H-I-S-C-R-O-W-D to get a 30-day free trial and unlimited access to 70 million songs, always ad-free on Amazon Music. In case you missed this quick update about Summer Camp Music Festival, they have moved the festival to August 20th through 22nd in the hopes that things will be better to have a music festival of that size. If you have tickets from last year, they're still good, so hang on to them. Information coming soon about what bands were able to make the switch to the new dates and refund availability should you choose not to go. There is a link in the show notes for the announcement from Summer Camp and any other information that you may need about that. There is also a show announcement from the band. Very exciting to see some live music coming back. April 8th through 10th, Umphreys will be at Swanee Rising in Live Oak, Florida. The band will play two sets during the weekend and other artists that are on the bill. Two sets of Lettuce, two sets of Goose, Andy Frasco, Big Something, and a few more. Not a huge lineup. The weekend will have Pods, personal outdoor dance space, an 11 by 11 square with a seven foot space between and 10 foot aisles in between the rows. 
A pod can have a maximum of six people, and that includes any children that you may bring. Of course, mask wearing is a requirement, and there will also be two stages side by side. So when one stage ends, the other will start. The music also ends at 11 p.m. each night. Tickets went on sale last Wednesday, March 3rd, and you will find a link in the show notes for all of the information about the festival and the waivers that need to be signed, as well as where you can snag your tickets. Some more very exciting live music news from the band. This spring, they'll be hitting the road, sort of. The Plan B, B-E-E, tour will kick off back at Atlanta Motor Speedway where they played back in October for a drive-in style show on April 30th and May 1st then back at SeatGeek Stadium where they played back in September in Bridgeview, Illinois also a drive-in style show on May 14th and 15th and doing a socially distant pod show May 28th and 29th at Riverside Station in Detroit, Michigan. Tickets are only sold by the car slash pod and go on sale today, March 9th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. There is a link in the show notes where you can snag your tickets, read up on all the things you can and can't do at the rock show, how many folks can be in your quarantine, how you can buy merch, concessions, everything you need to know about bringing the kids with you, and everything else, all in the show notes. I'm personally incredibly excited about this announcement, although I'm not sure if I'm going to be hitting up any of these dates, but honestly, just the announcement made me cry. It did. Even talking about it now, it's giving me goosebumps. I'm just so damn happy to see some dates on the calendar, to have some live music to talk about, you know, in the next month or two. And it's just a really, really great feeling to have. The announcements of these shows also came the day after my husband, who is autoimmune, got his first vaccination. So it was a couple of days where it just felt like it was like the silver lining, like the light at the end of the tunnel of this past year. So awesome, awesome, awesome that there has been some live music announced. And it makes me really hopeful for the summer and being able to see some music. And I don't know about you, but that's a really great feeling to have. There are also some links in the show notes for recaps about the drive-in shows that the band did last year in Atlanta and Bridgeview, and some first-hand perspectives from people who went to the drive-in shows last year in case you wanted to kind of hear a little bit more about what the experience was like before you decide if you'd like to go. All right, so let's get into it. This week on the show, I am very excited to welcome back writer, producer, and director, Brendan Devane. Brendan is the guy behind the release today, if you're listening to this when it airs on March 9th, horror suspense film, The Canyonlands. 
In case you didn't know, Brendan and Jake, along with some native flutists and drummers, are responsible for the 94-minute film score. Brendan Devane was on last year in May chatting about the Canyonlands on episode 100. There is a link for that in the show notes. In that episode, he talks more about getting the guys involved with the project, choosing the location, getting to work at Skywalker Sound, and more, so make sure you give that one a listen. This time around, we talk about the documentary he made about the music in the film and a little bit more about the film now that I've seen it. Brendan was very kind to allow me a pre-release viewing of the film. And I will say that horror suspense is not a favorite genre of film of mine, but I honestly thought it was a pretty good film. The scenery is just absolutely gorgeous. Brendan and I talk about that in our chat, and I thought the music was incredible and sounded amazing. Although the one I was given to watch before the release was only the stereo mix, I did purchase a DVD copy and am excited to rewatch it in the 5.1 surround sound mix. One of my favorite scenes, which was weirdly a gory part, but the dramatics and intensity of the music in that moment, along with the way that it was filmed, it just really hit it home with the emotions that you would want the audience to feel in that moment. Brennan and Jake really knocked it out of the park with this one, capturing the intensity of the scary moments in the film with the music, as well as creating the Southwestern vibe that the area would quote-unquote sound like. It certainly got me thinking about other films that they could make music for, something else that Brendan and I talk about in our conversation. There are a few quote-unquote gory scenes, but honestly, I didn't think it was bad. Um, It wasn't really scary, more suspenseful, the intense feelings that you would have from being out in the canyons like this, of course. There were parts that I jumped a little, but it wasn't anything that was incredibly scary. I also enjoyed the fact that while there were some horror film parts about it, the plot of the story and the location was not something commonly seen in a film like this. We joked about how this was going to be one of the hardest interviews I've ever done because I didn't want to give away any spoilers, but of course wanted to talk to Brendan about certain scenes of the movie, and I think we did a pretty okay job with not giving away anything. A little synopsis for you if you have no clue at all what The Canyonlands is about. The Canyonlands follows Lauren, a river guide in southeastern Utah who has been experiencing disturbing visions lately, reluctantly agreeing to take five contest winners on an overnight trip to the Colorado. She soon finds herself struggling to keep it together with the visions. Camping for the night, the group becomes separated and lost in the labyrinth of canyons and discovers they aren't alone in the remote terrain. Stalked by an evil presence, Lauren and her guests are thrown into a 150-year-old feud and Lauren must confront her visions to see the contest winners and herself through until morning. If you haven't checked out the trailer for the film, you'll hear one in the show before my chat with Brendan, and there is a link in the show notes where you can watch it if you'd like. Fun fact, the trailer features the Umphreys tune, Maybe Someday, which is also the end credit song for the film. 
There are also a couple of Umphrey's Easter eggs hidden inside the film. So if you watch, see if you can find them. I thought I had them all, but during my chat with Brendan, he told me that there was one that I missed. So when I go back and watch it, I'm going to see if I can catch it this time. As I mentioned, the film is available today on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, Xbox, YouTube Movies, Google Play, and a few others, and available for purchase on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, and Best Buy. There are links for everything in the show notes, and Brendan goes through the whole list of where you can find the film to watch. Brendan also mentions in our chat that a portion of the proceeds from the sale of the film are going to go to Conscious Alliance, their goal to provide 50,000 to 100,000 meals for the indigenous communities that they bring food out to. You'll also be able to check out a review of the Canyonlands in March's issue of Conduit Magazine, so be on the lookout for that. And if you haven't snatched your subscription to that yet, there is a link in the show notes. There's also video of my conversation with Brendan, so if you want to check that out, head to the show's YouTube page. There's also a link for that in the show notes as well. Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that could make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele. Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit E-Magazine help you get the word out. With ad space in monthly issues of Conduit, commercial spots on the podcast, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, guest spots on the show, and more. Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit can help you reach tons of fellow umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow umph family. Email dropped at gmail.com or conduitemagazine at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more about the amazing packages we offer. So here is a little preview of the film and then my chat with the writer, director, and producer of the film, The Canyonlands, Brendan Devane. It's one overnight. He'll be back before you know it. Hit a few easy rapids, show him a good time. I don't know why this is happening. Gold can drive a man to do terrible things. Our spears could not enter into the spirit realm without retribution. Thank you for letting me watch the film ahead of time. It was... Oh, yeah, no worries. I actually enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was it was a really good uh no you said you didn't like horror that much so um it was i don't think it's that scary but then again i've seen it a thousand times so my perspective probably isn't the best one to go on whether it's scary or not well i felt the same way i watched it and then i watched um 
some parts of it that I wanted to rewatch, like the major plot explanation of the movie. So I wanted to rewatch that part. And I said the same thing to my husband. I didn't really think that it was horror. I thought it was more suspense and, and stuff. I didn't think that it was horror. I, yeah, there were parts where I jumped, you know, but you kind of knew it was coming anyways, you know, you're, yeah, in the middle I mean, of nowhere and it's dark <laughs> right it, it's not full of like what do you call jump scares you know per right. se out of a typical horror movie and I, and I don't know i wouldn't say there's any, any like extremely terrifying moments either you know i guess you're just more trying to be like uh just creepy unsettling and you know suspenseful and just kind of fun it's not you know it, it's it, it's not campy or anything like that but it doesn't take it too seriously I was taking uh, money about whether my dog Luna was going to crash this at some point. And here she is down there. Um, funny side note by Luna. Luna also crashed my interview with Bearless that's coming up in the uh, in the documentary about how we made the sound. Um, and then she ended up laying at his feet the whole interview, which was nice. That's pretty funny. That. Hopefully she does it for this, but you know, dogs. <laughs> oh yeah. Dogs and kids too are the same way. I've actually constructed a sound booth this past weekend for myself in the basement and it's nice to actually awesome. finally. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. It's the, I, the greatest construction of PVC piping and acoustic blankets ever. Yeah. Nice. Good work. Yeah. Well, why don't you start by talking about the documentary that you just mentioned? Um, go a little bit more into what that's going to be about and when we can expect to see that. Um, well, it, it was kind of always in the back of my mind since uh, the music and the sound of this film was always uh, so important from the get-go um, for horror genres or, or suspense or whatever you want to call this film. Uh, the sound of a film is, is very... Uh, is very uh, key um, to change the mood because you know I, I you can watch this movie without any sound at all and it's you know you could be funny depending on the music that you're putting behind it or whatever so sound was always a big part of this and um, I just thought it'd be interesting for people to see all the kind of different styles that went together with this from Brendan and Jake and Umphreys to Native American flutes and chanting and stuff that went into it and then working at um, uh, so the Skywalker Ranch with the with the Lucasfilm people was was obviously great. So um, I don't know, it's just a little. It, it's not that long. I think it's going to be twenty minutes or something like that. But I interviewed Brendan and Jake, um, the Skywalker sound team, uh, the Native American uh, people. Um, there's some stuff by me in there too. So uh, that'll be out uh, sometime next month. I'm not sure if it's going to be part of a bonus uh, features with uh, like a DVD or with a download, or if it's just going to be straight up on like on say Sadie Land's YouTube channel that anybody could watch. But um, that'll be out like next month. That'd be a cool thing to to hear their perspective of of making something like this. Yeah, I mean, it was it was different for for them uh, for for sure. Um, as I, as I asked both, oh, I got to get this squeaker out of Luna's mouth. Because uh, <laughs> um, she's both, so butthurt behind you. That's so funny the oh, way yeah. she's looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but. Um, yeah, yeah, I asked both of them how this was different than, um, say, writing songs for Umphreys and, you know, you're writing songs for a rock band as opposed to a musical score. So they both both get into that as being a very different process uh, for them. 
um, which was, you know, it's always interesting and fun when we get out of our comfort zones and do something that, you know, we maybe uh, aren't sure what was going on. And so um, I think they both had a really good time and I, I think they killed it personally. I think this, I do too. Is great. Um, it's pretty much exactly what I was looking for. Just um, kind of a Southwestern feel. That's a lot of Jake on there. And then Bayless is, you know, using this, this slide guitar and stuff. Um, and then when it needs to be over the top and, you know, elicit emotion or scariness and stuff like that, um, you know, I think I, I personally think it sounds great. Um, I think Shane, so too. Uh, Shane, the editor, um, you know, did a really good job because he was the one who took the, the, the raw pieces from Jake and Brendan and really put it together um, in the package that you hear. Uh, and he, he did a great job. And, and Jim Leap at, at um, Boondock recorded most of that, um, if not all, I think was recorded at, at Boondock. Um, cause how, kind of how they work is, you know, Jake was just spitting out mad music because that's what he does. Yeah. Spit out mad music. And, and Brendan and Shane in Chicago would kind of sift through it and see what worked. Um, I know that for the, I call it the massacre scene, but the, that, that, the, the scene with the flashback scene where you find out about what happened to the Native Americans, that was all Jake and Jim. That actually got put in, that three minutes got put in just straight how Jake did that in Boondock. We didn't alter it all because it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect on it. So um, I think also with, with uh, you know, it might have been interesting for them to like, you know, Jake's producing music, sending it to Brendan, and then it's getting back to Jake, you know, that, that went through several evolutions uh, of the scores and the music, which I'm sure is kind of similar to how their songs evolve. You know, I know that Jake writes something, you know, like, when I was in Boondock, I know you might have been there, you know, he's, he's got his iPad of like every single song he's ever made, like going back to high school or something like that. And if you hear like his initial like search for, it's a little bit, you know, it's different than what the band plays now, if and when they have, really don't play that song much. But um, uh, so, you know, they, I think they had a lot of fun bouncing ideas off each other. Jake, you know, got to go to his go to his studio and just make music all day, which is you know, what he wants to do, which everybody wants to do, really, I think. For sure. Um, and then, you know, Brendan didn't have to leave Chicago and because that's where Shane was and was able to knock it out there. So, um, yeah, I think that I think everyone involved with the score uh, did, did a great job. And, of course, the, the, the Skywalker sound people were the ones who mixed it and made it sound like a, what, what it does on, on the film, so have to give them props as well for sure of course yeah i i think it sounded incredible i mean we have we invested in a whole new sound system and speakers and everything last year because we knew we were going to have to stream pretty much every concert we watch so it was remarkable to watch on our sound system i know that's probably how it should be watched <laughs> and something like that and i think it was just it was spot on like you said, to exactly the emotions that you wanted your audience to feel in certain scenes. There's one scene, and you know, I, I was thinking about this, it's gonna be one of the hardest interviews because I can't go into, I don't wanna do any spoilers <laughs> of the film, <laughs> but there is one scene um, when one of the girls is being murdered and the intensity in that scene when they show the, the minor and everything and it's just, that scene really stuck out to me musically. It was just 
this intensity is just like, yes, this is such an awesome scene, which is ironic because I told you I don't like horror films. So <laughs> it's pretty funny that that was one that stuck out to me. But musically, that was probably one of my favorite scenes because just everything building and you're just like, yes. Yeah, I, there, there's a bunch of moments in there that I, re that I really like the music. I really like uh, what, what Shane did, particularly when they start to, I, mean, I don't want to spoil it all either anyway, but um, when they start to get chased in, in the in the canyons uh, and he really, he speeds up the music to like 120 beats per second. And it's, uh, it, it really, it really kind of like, you know, it's like, yes, it really builds attention, almost Hans Zimmerish a little bit so, um, as they're getting chased through the canyons, which was, you know, kind of the point uh, of, of being out there. But um, the, the other thing is, is that they just, um, you know, that's 94 minutes of total original music. Uh, spoiler alert, there's no other songs that in the actual film. I mean, you hear maybe Sunday a little bit. They're playing on the radio as the contestants get up. Probably not. Do you want to? Do you want to say hi to Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> Go lie down. She's only a year old. She just turned one year old, so she's 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 an anxious. Uh, All still puppy. Puppy, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but so 94 min minutes of just straight uh, original music is is unusual for a film. Usually you've got little snippets of they license this music or this music and this music, and then the score just kind of pieces that in as you go along. Um, for this, you know that all that it, all that is them, um, and, and it's pretty pretty impressive. Um, you know, like you know, the, like this is really a spoiler, but maybe Sunday is the is the closing credit song, which I always thought would be a really cool closing credit song. <laughs> I, and um, it was. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> Well, I just like the ending of. In fact, it's edited because uh, the the studio version I think is over six minutes long or something like that. And our credits aren't that long, so it had to be chopped and um, pretty seamless edit actually too. I think that uh, John at Skywalker did a pretty pretty good job there. Um, but I always wanted to to hear Jake's ripping guitar solo at the end, you know, as like a, as a credit credit song. I was like, yes. So. Um, yeah, just impressive work all, all around with, with the music and, um, you know, kind of bring it back to, to the documentary. People get some, a little bit insight how all that went together and, and their thoughts of it. And, um, yeah, hopefully people will find it cool. Nice. You, We talked about it before in the first time you were on the show and you weren't sure if it was going to be released as a soundtrack. Is there any plans to do that now that it's closer to actually being released? No, <laughs> no. Well, well I, I mean, I'm still, I, you just, I'm super busy right now. And it's just not something uh, I need to think about that, that Shane's really busy. The, 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 the Umphreys world is obviously in complete disarray as with everybody else in, in the, in the live business and music business, unfortunately. Uh, um, you know, and I still wonder is that 94 minutes of just soundtrack of, of just somewhat ambient music and, you know, there's no vocals or anything like that. Is, is, is it worth putting out? I'm not sure, but um, we'll see. It's still on the table. Uh, maybe I think it would be as a collector's, you know, probably just uh, fans of horror film music. I'm sure there's an entire subset of people that are into just that. And of course you have some freaks who <laughs> collect everything <laughs> right, right. Who, want, who want to uh who want to get everything they, they've produced um and it would take some editing down to uh, you just couldn't release the 94 minutes of that you know have to pick out tracks and and, and track them out um 
I, I mean, there's lots of spots that I think were great, two, two three little tracks, um, like the like the music that Jake did uh, for when she wakes up at the end. Spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I remember being there and I just described it and he hit it perfectly because I, I'm a big Rush fan as Jake is and, 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 and the guys. And I was like, there's there's an album they did called Crest of Steel and there's a song called The Necromancer. And at the end of The Necromancer, it's really kind of like happy, happy jam because Bytor wins and all this stuff. And it was like, we were talking about it. I was like, both like, that would sound great. And he just like hit that vibe like perfectly. So um, there's... There's definitely snippets of two to three minutes, I think, that you could pull together four tracks of to make a soundtrack viable, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite scene from the film? I know it's hard to do the not spoilers, but... <laughs> My favorite scene? Um, what, like now watching it or when we were filming it? Because they're kind of, they, they kind of might be different. Um, I guess if they're different then what you know both of them um i you know i really like at the very beginning when when stephanie um lauren the character you know the actress stephanie is um walking up to the uh, fire and the dancers are dancing in the background um i just think uh when we shot that it was like two o'clock in the morning and we're out in the middle of these canyons what you know miles and miles from anything uh that it wasn't a particularly fun time uh, um that uh you know seeing that kind of magic happen um, was um definitely uh inspiring and i, and I always i just like that view it's, it's it's a good shot um so at the time of filming that that was one that i really liked that I instantly knew that when we got it like you know that one's going to be in the film for sure um, as far as now, it's been a little bit since I've watched the film, uh, but um, I like, um, I think Alex, the, the, the director of cinematography is, is, is a really talented drone pilot. And there's, there's, some, there's some really good aerial shots in, in it that you wouldn't necessarily expect to um, find in a film of necessarily this budget or, or style. And that's due to his, his, his talents. And so there's, um, so now when I look back, some of the aerial shots that we were able to pull off, um, I think definitely uh, help place people out in the middle of nowhere, you know, where the film takes place because we were actually out of the middle of nowhere. Um, so yeah, now when I look at it, I'm really proud of, of some of those um, um, aerial shots that we were able to pull off in the film. And they're absolutely gorgeous. Like, I think I said it probably a dozen times in, when I was watching, it was just like, wow, it's so gorgeous. What These are amazing shots. Yeah, I was trying to contrast, uh, you know, how, how how beautiful it is with, you know, and then, and then how not beautiful it is. How dangerous sure. it can really be there. Yeah. The people there. I Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, now that you've seen, I mean, the, the only things that were actually shot at night is when you see a natural fire, like when they're around the campfire or when she's having some of these sequences where you see the big fire. Those were those were shot at night because you just can't fake that with natural fire. Right. But the rest of it was shot during the day. And it's um, all the time you see stars and stuff. That's all via painstakingly VFX in. And uh, there's actually more VFX shot in this film than um, Inception which is pretty crazy. Wow. 
also a testament to Christopher Nolan doing a lot of practical effects on that film. But just uh, it took a lot of work to make nighttime seem, you know, like nighttime because we just couldn't film out there at night. It was it's far too unsafe uh, in those real canyons and yeah. just beyond us. To, we just couldn't light that whole up area. So we had to film during the day for safety purposes and budget purposes. And actually the first... The first pass of that that Alex did because he he colored it um, ended up looking too realistic. Uh, it was too realistic for night, wow. and but that meant we you couldn't see any you couldn't see people because really if you were out there at night now I've been out in those canyons in a full moon and it's almost like daytime. It really it really is almost like daytime in the full moon out oh. there shadows and you can totally see. Um, but yeah, if, on a normal night, if you were out there, you'd be able to see a little bit, but things would be blurry. You know, when you wouldn't be, it would look a lot blue. That's how it kind of looks at night on our night vision. And when Alex came back with the first go at it, it was amazing. It looked like night out there. The problem being is that, that, that it's a film and we need to see actors' faces. We see reactions. We need to see a little bit of the landscape, you know, that, that sort of thing. So we, we lightened it up a, a bit to where it is now. So, um, it may not look totally like, you know, what you would expect to be in the dark out there, but that's because we wanted people to be able to see, you know, be able to see the, see the actors' faces, see the reactions, see the canyons and where, where people, uh, you know, where we were filming. Makes sense. Got to keep everybody safe for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what was number one, you know, and that's the first one on the list, you know, because everything stops once you know, something bad happens. So. Yeah. And it's a different location. It's not like you're just on set somewhere, you know, kind of safely in a warehouse or something. I mean, you are in there in the actual canyons. Yeah. And so no cell phone service for 10, 15 miles in there. We have that sat phones on there. And uh, the head of the Moab search and rescue team was our medic uh, on site. And, and, and luckily enough, nothing, nothing happened, you know, Thank God. Uh, some bumps and bruises, some ant stings, you know, but nothing that was like, you know, like, wow, because things can get bad out there. Even, even flash flooding. Um, we got rained on, we got hailed on, we got thundered on. There was a flash flood in the area, but the, the locals that the local production, Jeremy and Crystal that we worked with, um, had set up our main camp to not get flooded out, which was great. Um, but yeah, it was challenging because every shoot day was outside except for one. You know, we only had, we, there's not too many indoor scenes to the film, right? And those mm -hmm. were all done on the same day. Um, so everything was outside. And May is usually a pretty nice time in Moab. Unfortunately, May 2019 was very abnormal for Moab. Um, temperatures were way below normal. Uh, it rained a lot, which is unusual for them, uh, and so it was it was a struggle for us to try to film everything, you know, all the scenes, and just get everything done, and then be able to do multiple takes to make sure we were getting coverage that we needed right, um, and uh, still keep equipment safe, people safe, and uh, you know, just we had one day we had to cancel because it was like sixty mile an hour winds were blowing through the canyons. So it was like, you know, like you can just see that in people's hairs and shirts. Yeah. So if they're standing at the top of the canyon and it's shot over multiple days, it'd look like calm, calm, hurricane, calm, calm. You know, <laughs> like totally out of sync. So we did shut down for one day, but um, 
luckily it the day it super rained all day was the day we were scheduled to shoot um indoors uh, so that, that actually worked, worked out. out yeah <laughs> but yeah at some point we got hailed on you know the thunderstorms it was cold it was like some of these shoots are starting at four o'clock in the morning and it's like 33 degrees and you know the actors are in summer clothes you know and they're trying to act like they're not cold and stuff like that so yeah. at times it was a bit challenging Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So looking back on doing the film, if you were going to refilm it, what is something that you would do over? Oh, you mean like individual scenes and stuff like that? Or Maybe just or... overall. Is there maybe something that you oh, learned from the experience of doing this film or? Uh, that's a dangerous question. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course, I think, I, I think, Oh, there's a there's a saying in the movie business that the movie is just never it's kind of in the, in the in the music business too is that things aren't ever done they're just ready to be released mm -hmm. you know so there's plenty of stuff that, that we, their show's not long enough to go into all the things that i would done compared to writing it better for me directing it better for me um you know doing production things a, a little bit differently um but uh you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you have to lock it off and at some point right. just be at peace with where where this is. And you could just keep on tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and tinkering. And it's just never going to get done. Right. So um, I can't give you any specific answers because really the list is too long. Um, <laughs> I, I would love to redo a whole bunch of things from my end because, um, you know, when, when, anything that's wrong with the film, and there's plenty of things I'm sure critics will find wrong with it, um, are, you know, due to, to my inexperience and, and my writing and, and my, my directing. I think that the talent and the actors did a, did a great, did a fabulous job. Everyone who worked on the film did, did, a, did a great job. So I wouldn't say I would do anything differently as far as, you know, um, the editing or Alex shooting or the music or anything that the people that worked on it, I would do things differently from my standpoint and try to, and just try to make it better. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but makes sense. we're not going to reshoot any of that. <laughs> and, and all, all those, all those mistakes will be hopefully corrected on the next film to make new mistakes on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what are you most proud of about this film? Um, well, really just getting it done, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's been, it's been a long journey, you know, I've been working on it since 2018, as far as writing it, we really started pre-production in like January, 2019. So here we are more than two years later. Um, and, and it's you know now getting released. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, just getting it done is, 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 is quite an accomplishment. Um, I mean, I guess I'm proud of the fact that like, you know, I'm, I'll let other people be the judge of how good or not good or bad it is. But I mean, I will say, you know, it's entertaining. It's, it's a real movie. It's, it, it doesn't suck. And, uh, um, you know, it looks good and it sounds great. And um, I think people will enjoy it. Um, so yeah, I'm proud that we were able to not only just finish it, but put together a, you know, a, a quality project for the, the budget constraints that we're in. I mean, it's it's not a Marvel movie, right? But it's, uh, <laughs> go, go watch a bunch of other independent horror, and I think we compare very favorably uh, to to what's out, what else is out there. 
I agree. I agree. And I, I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't the stereotypical horror film. You know, there was a legitimate, like good plot to it. (laughs) Like the story was good. And, you know, the scenery was amazing. Like, I really think that it's, you know, it's definitely up there as a good film. I think it was great. Well, I tried to, um, you know, Hollywood and, and people in general are always looking for the same, but different. So they want the same thing, but really they want the same feeling. They want the same feeling that they saw when they saw Star Wars in, in 1977. But they, so they, but they want it to be different to, so that it's not like you're watching the same exact thing. So while there are certainly plenty of your typical horror tropes written into the film, because it sort of has to, to be in that genre, um, you, you know, you kind of have to toe the line a little bit. I wanted to put it in a, a, a location that you just don't really see horror, horror films put into. Um, and, and, and one that I felt like could be its own character. I mean, that's why it's called the Candylands because really the, the land is it's, it's its own character. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I think um, you know overall we, we did a good job of, of, of what we were what we were trying to do, um, you know, portray Native Americans in, in, in a positive way with authentic Native American musicians and artists in the film. Which, to get back to your previous question, I'm I'm super proud about um, that. Uh, you know that 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 we were we were able to, to do that with, with quality actors like Wayne and all the extras were um, natives. And Nino, the, the, who's one of the dancers at the beginning and provides the flute music, um, is just an, is an amazing person. He lives in, in Salt Lake City, uh, performed in their opening ceremonies for the Winter Olympics in 2002. Uh, and I'm glad that we were able to to, to bring to bring you know authentic native um, people into the film and portray them in, in a in a positive way, because for for a long time, you know that's been a huge issue in, in the industry going back, basically since they've had movies, Forever. cowboys and Indians, right? You know, and um, I'm as white as they can be. You know, I'm a giant Irish white guy from upstate New York, so. <laughs> how to tread carefully with that with that storyline and um because the the sad truth is is that while that is a fictitious tribe and a fictitious story that happens not that far from where we were shooting um and you know talks a little bit about that in in the interviews and the documentary um you know horrific massacres of native americans happened all over south all over utah all over the west really but not very far from there so uh, it was something that I felt like I had to, to, to as not being native, um, you know, tread pretty carefully on that. And in fact, you know, the earliest versions of the story, which I think are actually the best version of the story, um, it's not really a spoiler alert since then we didn't film it, um, but the, the main killer was going to be a Native American brave and everything was getting set up because I think this comes out post-release, right? Uh, everything was getting set up by the Native Americans to exact uh, the, the revenge, right? And it was a much, much made more sense storyline. It was really strong. Um, and, and even though at the end, you would have been sympathetic to the Native American causes of why they did that, it still would have been a Native American for 60 minutes running around and screen killing people. And that right. just, just decided that wasn't, 
really necessarily a good look that myself was as a non-native you know producer and director was going to put out there so um we kind of changed that up to the version that it is now um which i think is is it's maybe not the better story um but it's certainly more appropriate for the subject matter yeah, absolutely. And so did you talk to Native people when you got to the land? So you knew you wanted to film here and you told me previously that the major reason for the film was all about the location and wanting to make a movie about the land. So you had your location. Did you talk to Native people and then get your story from what they told you about what happened in history there? Um, a, a little bit. Uh, there, there's definitely locals that that were out there that explained some of the significance of where where we actually shot is actually some like ancient uh, sacred Navajo land, um, and wow. it's on Tom's uh, base camp adventure Moab, which is right on the Colorado River. It's the last property you can be on before you hit Canyonlands. Um, like we shot this as close as you can be without shooting it inside the actual national park. Um, and so some of those caves, uh, caves, but some um, canyons back there were definitely um, used by the Navajo and the Utes. There's uh, pictographs. As she's, as, as Lauren, the guide says, as they're rafting down, everything she says there is historically accurate. Those tribes were there, are still there. There are pictographs all over where we shot. Um, it was, you know, totally inhabited by them. So um, when. Uh, Larry was only there for one day. He's the character who played chief, the owner, owner, owner of the business. And he's, he's like a very well-known um, dancer, Native, Native American dancer in their community, dances all over the world. And was kind of, you know, he didn't have time to bring his, his um, you know, uh, his stuff there to, to perform for us. Um, but, you know, I ran things by him. Wayne, who plays uh, Two Rivers, was his name, I guess it's never named in the film until the credits. Uh, you know, it's been around for, for a, lot, a long time. He's from British Columbia um, and for sure the lines that he delivered and the story I would talk to him about and be like, because my perspective is from a 47 year old white guy, right? So, you know, it's yeah. like, hey, does this make sense? To, is this, does this, is this any of this offensive to you? Does this all make sense to us? So I ran everything by by him, what he was saying. We made sure that he was comfortable. Um, Mar Marlana, his his awesome wife, was, also came out to the shoot, and she actually um, helped um, Alex, the um, the uh, customer, um, do some more authentic things to uh, his um, costume. And uh, she made his moccasins and all, all this stuff and really had great input about what was authentic for the period. And um, like I said, what, what, was, what was appropriate as, as far as what they, they were saying. Um, and then Nino and Honey, who was the other, the other dancer who came out, um, I had conversations with Nino for a long time about it. Uh, it Nino doesn't do film. Um, <laughs> And he said that to me several times. Uh, and he, I guess he gets asked a bunch. Yellowstone shoots uh, or did shoot just outside of Salt Lake and uses a lot of Native American extras and stuff like that. And he's been asked repeatedly to be on TV shows and stuff. And he said he always he always declined it. Um, and I was like, well, well, why did you why why did you come down here to do this? And he, he, he you know he gave me a nice complimentary explanation. And so we were really. Um, 
was really honored to have someone his stature in the community kind of you know rubber stamp it a little bit so i guess so to speak and and uses his amazing flute um which the minute i heard it i was like this is kind of the sound that i was looking for yeah uh, because it's so I don't know. And it's, it's kind of like mournful, sad, a little bit eerie, kind of like blowing through the canyons a little bit. So, um, yeah, I was really, uh, when I heard that, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And, and I, I only stumbled upon Nino. I don't know if we went over this the last time we were talking, but maybe repeating myself. Uh, I was on, I was on the interwebs and, uh, looking for some Navajo drumming and, uh, by authentic drummers. And I, this this video um, popped up of of Nino playing that flute on the Corona Arch outside of Moab, and the minute, like I said, the minute I heard, it, I was like, "This is amazing! Like this, I would can totally see this being in a horror suspense in the canyons." And so I, from there, I contacted him, um, and yeah, just struck up a, a, re a relationship with him, and then it evolved into just not using his music, but I wrote in those dancers specifically for him and honey to come down to Moab and, and appear for the film. And then it turned out so well that we kind of used that image several times, you know, th throughout the film. Uh, so yeah, I just couldn't be more, more pleased about um, their involvement and, and how, and how we were able to uh, portray the native community. Yeah. And, and you can tell too, that it's um, done in a very, I don't know if tasteful is the right word to use there, but you can tell when you're watching the film that there's a lot of consideration taking taken into native people and what their ancestors all had to deal with. And so I think that you did a really good job with that. Yeah, I, I, thank you. Um, I think that uh, also, I guess I'm trying not, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without spoil alerting. Um, <laughs> one of the kills wasn't shown and it wasn't shown because, because, I, you know, I just didn't think it was necessary to see that, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you can, if you know which one I'm talking about, but it relates to the native there, which is also, a, a, I think a, a very powerful, it's, it's a very powerful scene, or it, or it should be. I hope it's coming across as that because that's kind of a little bit of the crux of the film. As I mean, I guess I'll spoiler as as their blood is like seeping literally into the land, you know, at the end of how this whole blood debt is, is starting. Um, and while that was necessary to see, I felt I didn't think it was necessarily necessary to see, you know. Right. What what we have seen previously in the film, as far as like horror genres and you know what some people may think is gratuitous violence and and, and grossness and stuff like that. Um, although certainly I wouldn't say that there's a ton of blood in this film. Uh, but Faina, the 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 hair and makeup um, wanted to use way more, <laughs> and 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 she's great. I mean, she made she made things look uh, look amazing uh, and super fast and. Super, super awesome. So grateful to have her um, on, on, on the team. But I don't think there was a ton uh, of, of blood and gore. And I mean, there's moments, I guess, but. Well, you know, you got, I mean, it's the type of film, have, so. Yeah. You can't have a slasher film without that unless you're trying to sell it to Disney or something. For sure. For sure. Do you think that you'll ever make another horror film? Uh, well, I'm working on one right now, so um, I, I would say odds are yes. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you what else you're working on, too. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I, I won't get too much into it, but I would say um, it's a cross between uh, Free Solo and The Thing. Yeah, okay. The, not the crappy remake they did, but the original <laughs> not 82 version from Carpenter and Kurt Russell. And, and that movie always has, ter- still to this day, terrifies me. Like, I can't watch The Thing for too long because it's terrifying and gross. And um, yeah, so I'm working on, 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 on another stupid environment shooting someplace that I shouldn't shoot crazy, you know, hard production thing. So we'll see how it comes out. Awesome. (laughs) If you could work with Brendan and Jake again on any other film genre, what would you like to work with them on? Ooh. Um, Well, I, I mean, they're obviously such talented musicians. I don't think that they're, that they're limited to, they're, they're limited to it. You know, I, I'd like to, um, you know, in, involve uh, Bayless's, you know, lyrical genius somehow and being able to, to, to write lyrics to, to, to music or uh, a song that was, that was part of the score. Um, I think maybe it would be kind of funny if they did like a comedy or something like that. I could, I could see, uh, kind of like an old school, the movie old school, there's a lot of acoustic guitar kind of just kind of like rolling through that. I could see them doing something like that. Um, I could also maybe see some sort of dystopian future sci-fi, yeah. sci-fi thing. I mean, watching Jake just making sounds for this and you'll, st- I mean, I filmed as much as I could when I was there because half the time I was talking to them and, and doing stuff. And then other time I was trying to, you know, capture Jake just running around like a kid in a candy store, like, and then I can play this. And he's got oil <laughs> can guitars and stand-up basses with bows, and the guy just plays everything. Everything. Um, and so, yeah, just to let him loose on pretty much anything, I think would be entertaining and and, and come out awesome. And then, you know, but kind of their dynamic, at least from what I saw, was you know that Jace just produces all this music, and then. And then Bayless is just kind of like the filter or the, the funneling it down to more of a, you know, a, stru- a structured, uh, structured thing. So, um, yeah, I think they, I think they would both love to do more movies. I mean, why not? You don't, you don't have to live in a tour bus. You can just work straight right. from home, you know, like it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, for, for Jake and, and Brendan, you know, get, we both have, you know, three kids, uh, young kids too. You know, it's nice mm-hmm. to, stay home. And I, and I know that's probably the, some of the challenge that everyone's going through here with, with COVID of, oh my God, it's, you know, for, for musicians, uh, it's nice to not be on the road, but eh, we're not really built to stay at home for a year without getting time away from home or, you know, for some of the smaller bands, you know, making money, obviously, you know, it's like yeah. not, not having income is, 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 is crushing for uh, a lot of, a lot of people. And, and and the crews and, 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 you know, everybody, um, it's just, it's just, just, just tough. Um, and then gotta be home. And I know you're dealing with this, you know, homeschooling your kids, maybe schools are closed. It's just, it's just kind of a crazy time we're all living through, um, right now. And, and I was glad that we were able to finish most of this post-production on the film pre pre COVID. Um, so it didn't have, uh, too much, um, so the last coloring and some of the last, um, VFX shots were done kind of after quarantine, but um, for the most part, we were finished beforehand. So that definitely helped out. Yeah, for sure. I love the Easter eggs that you 
put inside the film too. It'd be funny. I'd, I'd like shout oh. out, like, oh, there, there's that. <laughs> there's a couple. You, there, you may see some, some, uh, some like Umphrey cameos in there. I don't know. Um, but there, there, there's a couple. There's a couple. There's a couple that are that aren't noticeable either. That like nobody would notice it unless I told them. It's like, oh, I did this, and they'd be like, oh my god, really? <laughs> like, uh, you know, when you watch it, check out what the license plate says when when they when they roll up um, when when they're playing maybe Sunday inside the car and all the contestants get out. Like I had a little message on the license plate. I didn't notice the license plate. I missed that one. <laughs> it's it's not uh, right. You know, that's so you're always kind of putting in like little almost the same way I find myself when I re record uh, the crappy music that I record. Uh, you're always just kind of like, you know, layering it, you know, just like, okay, we did one thing and then, oh, oh, I had another good idea. So let me put a cowbell in here or something. So then it's like, oh, let me, um, I can rearrange the letters on that license plate to say something, you know, so. My favorite one was the, uh, the cell phone, screensaver uh, or whatever and i was like oh my god there's yeah. martin and jake <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're actually wearing Canyonland shirts too. yep i was like i think i remember that picture they posted that <laughs> jake played a whole show with that Canyonland shirt it's unfortunately I didn't get a, to get a picture with him on it or i think maybe, maybe it's from the back I, I noticed that bayless wears his uh doing yoga with with Andy. So <laughs> yeah. i'm glad that he finds it comfortable because he's kind of weird with shirts. Um, yeah. They have to have a left-hand pocket, um, always has to be black, uh, the whole Jerry Garcia <laughs> thing he's got going on there. Um, are you going to watch them tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely watch. I love being able to watch those every couple of Fridays. It's it's such a nice end of, to the week. We homeschooling all week and working from home, and it's a nice little release a little yeah i think it's been, what's it um it'll be almost a month since they played their last non-drive-in covid shows right it was like aspen last march i think for the last mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it'll be almost almost a year it's been my last shows were last valentine's day weekend so i'm over the year hump now and it sucks <laughs> yeah i think uh i saw the seattle show i think right was like oh right before he was leaving seattle and there was already an outbreak happening there in, in seattle so it was definitely a little, little weird um but yeah hopefully hopefully sooner or later you know i don't know there's a conspicuous uh conspicuous um uh blank and red rocks summer tour schedule the third week in july or june excuse me um for that weekend which is a typical you know, Humphrey's weekend there now since they moved it a couple of years ago from being July 4th to like, um, I would think, see, I lived in Telluride for a while and I think of that as Telluride Bluegrass uh, weekend because it's always the third week in June. I was like, ah, oh, now there's two events in Colorado that like Humphrey's at Red Rocks or now you're going to go against Telluride Bluegrass. But um, I hope that uh, they can definitely return to the, to the stage sooner than later, not just for those guys, but for, um, you know, Bobby, Drew, Richards, you know, their, their whole crew who just been sidelined essentially right now. There's nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I've been, I did doing the auction and I did one a couple months ago and then, you know, I'm going to be doing a poster auction in the early summer and it's, it's all for the crew because it's just, it's gotta be so crappy right now to 
not have anything. Yeah, it's endemic to, to everyone. Um, you know, it's not just Humphrey's crew, it's it's ev- everyone's crew. Fish's crew, widespread's crew, you know, string cheese's crew, whoever, you know, um, you mm-hmm. crew, whoever's crew is out there. I mean, I still have Pearl Jam tickets from last uh last spring and their whole tour got canceled. Um, or post, still says postponed, so we'll see when they come back. But um yeah, and um I've obviously a little bit more um focused on on the crew as being a former roadie my, myself from from yonder years of yore in fact uh you know i remember meeting drew um i 2000 2001 when he got his first job in the business uh working as keller working for keller uh, and it's and it's and being keller's first tech uh and you know of course with with string cheese at that time we did a lot of shows with keller and he was always around it's him and lou super awesome people Great people love Keller and Lou, uh, and Drew got hired by Keller to be his 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 helper, and we just I remember uh, we kind of laughed because it was Drew's first first job, and Keller at that time uh, I don't know, it's been a while since I've seen him just has a ton of stuff. This was back in his super one man band days, just a ton of stuff everywhere: drum sets, basses, guitars, loops, pedals, chords, and seeing Drew trying to like run around and, and gather it, you know, so it was 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 a good time to watch. Um, <laughs> so one of my favorite people ever. So glad to, um, you know, ha- have him being on the Humphreys crew, taking care of uh, Brendan and Jake and um, Pony. He's got a lot of work to do. Pony needs a base tech. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I hope that they can get back on the road and uh, people can start to get checks again because like for drew boulder's an expensive place to live you know for so, sure um, you know and we all want to go see shows i know we all want to go see shows but we have to wait till it's in my opinion it's you know till till it's safe and and uh, everyone everyone's comfortable doing it so hopefully but, the fall i'm i'm optimistic for the fall <laughs> yeah i've got my uh What's what's September? Will that that canceled or postponed? La La. The will turn. Oh, yeah, because those are those are close to me. I can drive to the to the will turn. So nice. That'll be the next time I see Umfries. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Yes, yes, I would love to go to a show for not only for the live music, but that was like my away from my kids time. I think you start a club there, right? Pass down in the castle, sir. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you're 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 not alone. I mean, I I don't have kids, but uh, I've got cabin fever uh, as well. It's it's been uh, it, I've i always been saying when the movie was done, I was going to take a vacation. Um, and then the movie got done, and I haven't taken a vacation. I was like, okay, after it gets released, I'll take a vacation and. Uh, it's still probably, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 48 in Nevada. I'm like pretty much at the end of the line in, in Nevada for getting a vaccine. So. Uh, uh, I'll have to wait till this summer. Um, but you know, it, it is what it is. So. Yeah, for sure. So do you have any advice for someone that would want to make any film, but maybe a horror film? 
besides don't do it. <laughs> maybe, maybe a, a different, a more encouraging piece of advice. <laughs> Hammer down and slowly back away. Re-examine and think about it hard before you- Make sure this is really what you want to do. <laughs> make sure that you've got like, look at your budget and make sure you've got like three times that before you start doing it. <laughs> no, I, you know, obviously I would encourage, you know, people to go to, to make film, of course, um, depending on the level of what you're doing, if you're trying to like, you know, make millions of dollars, think long and hard about that one. But if you just want to, if you just want to be out there, you know, being artistic or having fun or, and, and doing stuff, um, I would say, you know, there, there's, there's plenty of, of, of knowledge to be had out there that you, you don't necessarily need to go to film school or, or, t or take courses. Um, I mean, most of the stuff I, I've learned from other people or just YouTube videos, to be honest with you. It's like, oh, yeah. how, do I, how do I edit this? Okay, put it. And then someone in India or somewhere else, you know, ha has got a video of like how to do it. It's like, okay. And then For sure. <laughs> um, so I, I would, you know, why, why I wouldn't say that there's no value, obviously, to higher education and, and say film school, of course, if that's, if you, you know, this is your career path, you know go for it because you'll obviously learn what you want to do there if if you want to be a director if you want to be a writer if you want to be a cinematographer if you want to do production sound on, on the set there's so many different jobs and there's so many different avenues um to get into it but if, if say you just wanted to make your own film um it really doesn't take too much i mean the way um my iPhone will record in 4k at up to 60 frames per second, you know, get a decent tripod and there you go. I mean, you can, you can edit an, I, an iMovie or Adobe Premiere Pro, um, which I edit in is, is fairly, fairly easy. I mean, you're maybe not be able to just jump right in and be able to like, you know, make amazing montages and stuff like that, but you can for sure start to put together things that are like reasonably professional with minimal, um, you know, education about it i think um and it's just about you know coming up the the, the genesis for the Canyonlands really started off of say kind of the budget a little bit because like you know you got 20 million dollars that opens up a lot of your options of like oh we can just rent out this sound stage and you know pay this actor and now tom hanks is in my film or something but um for for lower budget films you know to think about where where you're going, where you're going to shoot it, and how that's going to affect your cost, um, how many, how much crew you need for it. Um, originally, when I thought about shooting outside, it was to reduce costs, cost because you know you don't have to build sets. That's why you know there's no production designer credit. Well, there is a credit in the end credits for production designer, but it's not obviously a real person because it's. <laughs> It's, it's nature that was there was no not much production design going on in this film we were outside in, in these slot canyons so um think about that and you know permits and there's just so much there's so much paperwork and stuff that's behind the scenes so um you definitely want to get your your um uh your ducks in a row so to speak um as far as horror, shooting horror goes um I may not be the best person to ask because my, my creative process seems like it's different than, than, than other, than other people. So, and, and everyone has their, I guess their own kind of way of, 
how they genesis ideas or, or, or coalesce things. But um, I'm going to just trust your, your, your instinct, you know, um, and that'll either be successful or, or it won't, right? And I guess everything in life, if you trust your instinct yeah. and your instinct is bad, then, uh, you know, then you're probably not going to be successful. But if you <laughs> instinct and your instinct is good, then you, you might be successful. And the thing is, with especially in film, you, you know, too much of our society judges success based on, say, a financial return, how much money did it make? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in film, that's like not really a way to, 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 to judge success from. Um, the Shawshank Redemption, like my, one of my, my, could be my favorite movie of all time, was a box office bomb. It lost money in the theaters. Think, think about that. It's an am- amazing film that's almost universally accepted by everyone as being, maybe it's not your favorite, but understanding that that was an unbelievable piece of, of filmmaking through and through from the acting, the writing, the editing, everything. But yet, it lost money when it when it came out. Um, so yeah, don't get caught up on on whether something becomes economically viable of determining whether that was a success or not. You know, I don't know whether the Candylands is going to make money. I certainly hope so. Um, right. It's up, it's up in the air. It's it's a tough market. You know, it's 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 an extremely challenging market to releasing films and content right now. So we'll see what happens. But I don't I don't judge it as far as being a successful film based on, on on how much money it's going to make like does the film work is it is it good you know work at least good enough to be able to like yeah I, there was a there was a there was a story that i was able to follow and everything made sense and there wasn't any like cringing you know moments and stuff like that so um in that sense you know i think the film is it success and that's how i would say for people to kind of stack up their success and of, of, um, of filmmaking. Nice. Great advice. I like that. <laughs> and also don't do it. <laughs> and don't do it. Listen to all that, but then decide against it. Well, I would love for you to tell everybody where they're going to be able to watch the film, stream the film, buy the film, find the film, the whole deal. Okay. I'll have to look it up here. Okay. <laughs> do, do, do. Because it's quite a, I'm saying it's quite a, it's quite a list of, of the um, of the providers that that, that it's going to be out on. Good, that's awesome. Um, okay, so you you the Candylands will be released digitally on March 9th on the following um, platforms on AT and T Uverse, on Direct TV. So you just order it right off Direct TV, Dish Network, and Sling TV, um, Viewbiquity, which is Verizon's um, service. Uh, Hoopla, it'll be on Amazon, of course. It'll also be on iTunes. Um, so, it, you know, if you like to just download off of iTunes, you can get off of iTunes. It'll be on Vudu, Xbox, Google Play, YouTube Movies, and Fandango Now. So, and this will be out on our website, and I'm sure we'll um, we'll make a social media post alerting the people that. But that's quite. It'll be on quite a bit of um, platforms. And then, if you would like to purchase the DVD. Um, they'll be available on Amazon, Walmart, Best Buy, and Barnes and Noble. Um, so, um, plenty of places to to to, to get the film. Um, if you want to see it in a theater, um, well, actually, is this going to come out after March fifth? Yeah, probably right. Yeah, well, yeah. It's going to play in 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 Phoenix, um, Denver, um, 
Houston, Dallas, Chicago at the Music Box, and um, my hometown of Saratoga Springs, New York, and upstate nice. New York. Um, so it'll play in, in those theaters. Um, and one thing I would like to mention, if you could squeeze this in, is that we are um, partnered with Conscious Alliance. and. Um, part of the proceeds of, of this film are going to be donated to the Conscious Alliance. And we're hoping to raise, um, you know, 50,000 to 100,000 meals for um, those uh, indigenous communities that they bring bring food out to. So that's incredible. That's awesome. I'll definitely make sure to to shout that part out in my kind of like intro of the episode, too. So awesome yeah, well it's been tough for them too um well one is just being a charity but also you know they do a lot of their drives around live music and shows like brendan and jake show before um red box you know brings in a lot of a lot of money for them so um i definitely wanted wanted to do something with the film that that benefited people and and was more targeted to to um poor indigenous communities and and uh uh, you know, I was on the Strange Trees crew when 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 Conscious Alliance did their first show. I see their 2002, I think 2001, wow. 2002, um, when Justin Baker and all those all those people started it back then. So it's 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 been a project that's been close to my heart since the very beginning, and uh, I'm very very proud to support it. And and I hope that we can, um, like I said, raise at least 50,000 uh, meals for um, for 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 some people through this. So. That's incredible. It's not just all. It's not just all going to corporate studios profits. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll it, we're going to we're going to donate a substantial amount to um, Conscious Alliance. That's incredible. Very awesome. Very very awesome. Well, that's everything I have. This was awesome. really great. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on that maybe I didn't talk about? Uh, no, no, not really. I, I don't know. It's like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, like you said, it's ne it's never finished. It's just ready to be released. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just ready to be released and how to get out there. I mean, uh, I, it hasn't been altered since since July, actually. Um, and the, and the thing is, is that I mean, we we signed our distribution deal months and months ago, but it just takes a while to 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 get to get them to get them released. Um, like all the files have to be QC'd, and then it has to be like at least four months in advance to program some of these outlets. Like you just can't release on a direct TV or iTunes, mm -hmm. you know, that has to go through proper channels and that takes time. So, um, I'm kind of, I may, I may or may not do hoping to do like a little bit of a drive-in run maybe this, this early spring and summer, because, uh, it's just a film well, I'm happy anyone sees it. Please go go see the film, or rent it, or buy it, buy it, or rent it. Uh, <laughs> it just it just look. I I've been fortunate enough to see it on the big screen, and it's just a movie made for the big screen. It, it was, the aspect ratio that we shot this in, and I'm used to some of these landscapes and wider aerial shots are just really impressive when you when you look at it on, a, on a big screen. And I don't. I'm not sure what mix is uploaded to the um, to to the press um, screener. I do. I, I think it's only the stereo mix. So I don't think you actually heard the 5.1 surround mix. That, oh, okay. That the film is in, okay. um, which, which which it rumbles. It's 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 amazing. Like it's it's really good. Um, I guess I'll just have to buy the film and rewatch it then. <laughs> yeah, or you know, like ten for presents or something. <laughs> 
Um, Podcast gift bags. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I think um, that you know, bring us full circles back to the sound and 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 the score that the Umphreys guys does. This is an Umphrey centric podcast. Um, you know, the the five point one surround mix to the film really really brings through what they did and uh it definitely definitely rumbles so see it in, in a theater although i'm not i can't it's that's a tough one for me because i don't want to necessarily recommend that people go out in a pandemic and go into closed rooms but if you're young and healthy and vaccinated and wearing a mask and say go see the theater um but otherwise uh make sure you watch it on on a 5.1 surround cable system so that's everything I have for this week of the show. Thank you again to Brendan for your time. It was so great catching up and talking all about the film. There are a bunch of links in the show notes for anything Brendan or I may have referenced throughout our chat, where you can watch or purchase The Canyonlands, where you can binge on past episodes, book your own conversation and be a guest on the show, subscribe to the show's YouTube channel, where you can snag some official merch from the Dropped Among This Crowd Etsy store. And you will also find past issues of Conduit on there. If you missed an issue and want to snag an old one, you'll find some there. You will also find subscription information for Conduit Magazine and a ton more in the show notes. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you again for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.